2: Hey everybody, I'm Logan Camden. I'm Carson Brabber. And this is Nerd Search.
1: No! Oh my God, how could he do that?
3: Are you on? What?
0: Charles Darwin.
3: All right, well. We have previewed each NBA team at this point we went division by division so today we're going to be wrapping up our season preview series completely by handing out each of our award predictions then also talking about which teams we see making the conference finals out of both the East and the West and then ultimately of course winning the title so we will get to all of that but first Logan. Let's just start by catching people up with what we accomplished over the last few episodes. Because as I said, we ranked every team 1 through 15 in each conference. So let's go over that right now. Let's
2: start with the East. Could you just go over your standings? So uh, my top four teams out east, I've got the Bucks, Celtics, Nets, and Sixers finishing out the initial playoff party, the Heat, Raptors, Hawks, and Pacers. Then I've got the Wizards and Magic at 9 and 10 for the play-in games. And my final five teams, the Hornets, Bulls, Knicks, Cavaliers, and bringing up the rear, the Detroit Pistons. So we unsurprisingly have pretty
3: similar standings. I have the Bucks at the top, followed by the Celtics, Nets, Heat, Sixers, Raptors, Pacers, Hawks. That's my top eight. Then in the play-in games, I have the Wizards 9th, the Magic 10th, and then missing it entirely, I have the Bulls, Hornets, Cavs, Pistons,
2: Knicks. All right, how about the West? So uh, at the top, I've got the Lakers, Clippers, Mavericks, and Suns, then the Jazz, Warriors, Nuggets, and uh, Grizzlies, and then the play-in games, the Pelicans and Blazers, and missing the playoffs, the T-Wolves, Spurs, Rockets, Thunder, and the Kings uh, in dead last.
3: So we have much more disagreement out West, and we already discussed this in great detail if you want to go back and listen to our previous episode, which is where we got into the most of it. I have the Lakers atop the conference as well. Then I have the Clippers, Nuggets, Mavs, Blazers, Jazz, Suns, Rockets. That is my top eight. Then I have the Warriors and Pelicans in the play-in games. Then I have the Grizzlies, Timberwolves, Kings, Spurs, and Thunder, rounding things out. Okay, so now that you are caught up, now that you have... In your mind's eye, a vision of what we think about all these teams for this season. Let's get into the awards. Let's start with MVP, which has obviously been dominated for these past two years by a man who just decided to stay in Milwaukee for the long haul, and Giannis Antetokounmpo.
2: Is he going to repeat? Who do you have locking down that award this year? Uh Really similar to last year, Carson. I'm disappointed how the MVP conversation really hasn't changed uh, in my eyes either, because I've still got the same two guys that I predicted last season. Uh, I think LeBron is definitely going to be up there because the Lakers are likely going to capture the number one seed, and then I've got Giannis as well um, in that same conversation because I think the Bucs will take the one seed. I'm going to take LeBron uh, just because I think it's a little more interesting, and I just think with all the extra talent that LA has this season, that um, it's just going to be hard to hard to argue against it with how many wins are going to rack up uh, again you can go with Giannis because he's dominant on both sides of the basketball and obviously what he adds to a team defensively I think he could be in DPOY conversation uh, I think it's really just between these two guys I'm going to take LeBron I'm going to take LeBron as well which is obviously insane because he'll be 36
3: for most of the season we are now talking about unparalleled longevity as far as being at the absolute peak of the sport but to me, he is still clearly the best player in basketball and there is always the argument that Giannis is the best regular season player in basketball, but I do think that LeBron has all the fundamental pillars of a great MVP case. He has winning, as you already mentioned. I think they'll be the one seed out west. I have them tied for the best record in basketball. Their team has gotten better. I think that they will be the one seed out And I'm pretty confident about that. And obviously, his contributions to that success are undeniable. Last year, his on-off splits, they were 10 points better with him on the floor than off the floor. I don't think that's surprising to anyone that has ever seen LeBron James play basketball. Then he has, of course, statistical production because he is one of the greatest basketball players as far as just filling up the stat sheet no matter what over these past 15 years that we've ever had. He'll be efficient doing it. I feel like 50-35-70 seems very reasonable to expect from him this year. That's essentially what he did last year. And he averaged a 25-8-10. and So it seems likely to me that he repeats that. He's always been somewhere around a 27-7-7. and Now he's become a little bit more geared towards playmaking, a little less towards scoring in this current situation. Either way, he's going to be elite at both and very near the top of the league. And then, this is my least favorite pillar, but I think it's the one that favors LeBron the most this year. Narrative because the Giannis voter fatigue is going to kick in hard this year. One man ever has won three straight MVPs, and that was, of course, Larry Bird. It's just so hard to do without the voters deciding, we don't really want to vote for you anymore. So, LeBron is going on 36 years old. He would be the oldest MVP ever. It's his fifth time. He is doing it in his third location. He's starting to cement his legacy as arguably the goat in some people's eyes or at the very least clearly in that top two right now which was not the case before they won the title last season in my opinion i had him second but it's not like there was a huge drop off between him and kareem so no one else besides Giannis has this combination of winning and statistical production i just think the third factor that always plays in mvp discussions and generally leads to mistakes normally when people let narrative take over they pick the wrong guy but I just don't see Giannis winning three in a row, even if he is maybe the most deserving candidate, because it's just really, really hard to
2: do. You talk about uh, having you know similar players back to back, and I think the voter fatigue is going to be the main reason because Giannis could have a another per season, another statistical uh, season that you just marvel at, and I think I still I just don't think people will vote for him. That's another big reason why. Um, as for new players in this conversation, did you have any love for Luka Doncic or Anthony Davis? So AD, it would be hard
3: for me to say because I feel like you have to be the best player on your team. And maybe he's the best regular season player for the Lakers, but he's never going to be the one driving the offense. He's never going to be the one with his with the ball in his hands late in games. He's never going to equal LeBron's statistical production as far as points, rebounds, assists. We all know that. So that one's a little hard for me to imagine. Luka... Maybe if he drags the Mavs to the three seed, it's just incredibly difficult to win the MVP if you're not in the top two in your conference. One guy has done it being outside the top two in his conference since Jordan did it in 1988, and that was Russell Westbrook when, of course, they were the sixth seed, and that was just an egregious disregard of every precedent that we have about this award because it is really, above all else, about being on what is close to the best team and being the best player on that squad. Maybe our definition is evolving a little bit there. I personally hope it isn't I think that that's a good definition, and not to take it to the extreme, you shouldn't give the award to a guy from the 0-4 Pistons, but generally out of the best four teams in the league, as far as the top two in each conference, the best player is somewhere in there because he's contributing to that winning. So Luca's offensive production will be off the charts, obviously. Maybe if he averages 39 and 10, which is pretty reasonable for him, that's close to what he did last year, and they're the three seed, it's possible. Maybe if Kevin Durant just goes crazy and the Nets are a top two seed. I don't know if I really want to bet on that just because I feel like this regular season for the Nets is going to be a mixed bag. There's going to be a feeling out process. He might just have to rest some games. He's probably not going to put up 32 a night. But are there any other candidates that I didn't just touch on there who you consider on the outskirts of this conversation?
2: Honestly, not really, Carson. I'm, I'm going to be really surprised if, if anybody does that is outside of LeBron or Giannis or even gets close this season. And it would be pretty incredible if
3: LeBron added that fifth to his trophy and deserved because he's obviously been in the top 2 top 3 for this entire past decade and a half and eventually you figure he either could have gotten one more or is going to get one more right now. Okay. So, let's talk about award now that in my opinion has a much more diverse menu of options because MVP, we both sort of keyed in on LeBron and Giannis. This one, I don't know if we're going to agree. Who do you have winning rookie of the year out of this class that is a lot of unproven guys who maybe will be better down the road than they are in their
2: initial season? I've, uh, I've got your boy James Wiseman as my rookie of the year this uh, season, Carson. And uh, the reason I'm going Wiseman over other guys is, well, first, systematically, I think with the Warriors, they're going to need, I know Steve Kerr doesn't like running a whole lot of pick and roll. I think it's going to be imperative for them to run this uh, all season long with, uh, you have three really good ball handlers in Oubre, Curry, and Wiggins. Uh, I think just... Running pick-and-roll will open up so many things for your offense, shooting-wise. Wiseman running to the rack. It's what he's good at right now, and we'll be able to test if he spaces the floor. But really, Wiseman is going to be important for the Warriors to win games. Uh, They need him to be good immediately this first year. So uh, I think just because of how much he is going to be dependent on this first year is why I'm picking him. He's going to have touches. He's going to get rebounds because he's going to be their starting five. Uh, So statistically, he's also going to be up there. I think 15 points, 10 boards. For a lot of unproven rookies, that's a really good stat line. I mean, we saw last the last rookie class I can remember th- being this young. Malcolm Brogdon won at like you know, 10, 12 points per game. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility if Wiseman doesn't you know put out outstanding numbers, if he just puts up good numbers like a DeAndre Ayton maybe his rookie year. Um, I considered other guys, Carson, uh, LaMelo Ball. I just think that LaMelo's not going to score enough. I think that the Hornets' point guard, the guard rotation is just a little deep at this point. Rozier and Graham look like they're going to start. So, uh, LaMelo, I've just nixed off my list. I think he'll turn a lot. I think he'll turn the ball over a lot. I think he'll have a lot of assists. I just don't think he's going to score enough. And then other top tier guys like Anthony Edwards. I just, I don't, I don't know. I have a lot of questions about Edwards' game at this point. Uh, as we get into the season, I'll be able to give a little more analysis, but uh, I know that offense is going to be dependent on Russell and Towns now, so I don't know how many touches Edwards is going to get, but Wiseman right now I think is the safe pick and the smart pick, so that's why I'm going with him. So this is fascinating because I wrote down seven names who I consider for this
3: award, and I did not write down James Wiseman, and I know that I am in the minority in that conversation because he is certainly one of the overwhelming favorites to win it right now. To me, the volume of opportunities that you talk about are not certain. I think it is very real that Kevon Looney may start over him at the very least at the beginning of the season because Wiseman has not played with this squad yet in preseason. He's been out of things due to COVID and as I've talked about previously, I just think that skill set wise, he still has so far to go, particularly on the defensive end because As a rim runner, he will already be dynamic just because of his athleticism, and maybe he's not making great decisions off the short roll yet, but the dude as a lob threat will be terrifying. I don't think he necessarily needs to have the handle and the outside shot that is making him intriguing as a rookie, but can he protect the rim at a high level? Is he switchable? Can he empower Golden State's defense there? I'm not particularly confident in that, so... I don't really think that Wiseman is going to have as significant of a role as some people are expecting. I hope that I'm wrong. I hope that he is fluid and dominant out there because we are hearing good things out of Warriors training camp, but I just don't really see it right now. So you touched on how young this class is. I am actually leaning with a guy who is the most polished, most established offensive player out of this group, and that is Obi Toppin. A lot of this is about the volume of opportunities. He is probably going to have the most significant role in his team's offense. The fit with Julius Randle is going to suck, but he is so refined offensively. Obviously, he can handle. He's a pretty gifted passer if it's off the short roll, if it's him handling himself and coming downhill. His post game, which he has leaned on a decent amount in preseason, looks pretty nice as a pick-and-roll man. He can be potent. All of that is pretty far along, and I feel like he's going to score... 16 points per game which I don't think anyone else in this class does so immediately he will probably look like the best of these recent Knicks lottery picks and I think that he certainly does have the highest floor I just think he's going to be at his floor basically right when he gets in the league unless he comes along defensively later in his career which is possible and I don't necessarily expect him to do that as a rookie but he's already shown a willingness to stretch out the floor which makes it easier to play him alongside Randall he has eight three-point attempts over his first two games and we know that he was efficient from deep in college so to me Maybe it's not a great situation because he doesn't have a bunch of spacing, he doesn't have real reliable dynamic ball handlers alongside him who could take his play up to another level, but he's going to have the touches, he's going to be able to score for himself on the interior, and he's going to be able to knock down shots from the perimeter, and that to me is a healthy enough combination to where I see his offensive production being significant. I did consider though, as I mentioned, a number of other guys, and maybe my second candidate for this award was Danny Evdia because his shot looks good right now. It is fluid and he played a fantastic first preseason game, dropped 15-4-2. and two. I just think in Washington, he's third in the forward mix because you have Hachimura, you have Bertans, so I'm not sure he gets enough volume, but I do think he'll average like 10-12 to 12 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists. He looks really comfortable facilitating. He's going to be dangerous in transition, all the things that we expected from him, plus the outside shots. So, Logan, obviously, we have both sung our praises for him previously, and I was very encouraged. I agree with you a lot about LaMelo. I just don't think he's far along enough as a scorer. The shot has a ways to go. The mechanics on his bottom half are still really inconsistent. If you look at the first three that he made in that preseason game, he barely left his feet. This is a guy who normally is known for kind of a signature kickout, which probably isn't a good thing, but it's still really different, and then his shot looked different on the second make, so... I'm just not sure about him there, and I'm not sure he has the full keys to the offense. As I have mentioned before, I'm not sure he has a dynamic enough pick-and-roll buddy. Anthony Edwards, you already see his shot-making ability off the dribble. It's just he's not making a lot of them. He looks comfortable handling. He looks confident pulling up, but I think he's going to be inefficient. I think he has a long way to go, and I honestly, seeing him in this Timberwolves jersey now, am not sure if he's going to be as good of an immediate fit with that team as I thought he would. It just feels like he's too used to playing with the ball in his hands, and he's going to have to adjust there. And then some other guys who I considered, Killian Hayes, just because I think the poise, the shot making, the facilitating is already really high level. Just a question of how much does he have the keys to the offense. And with Derrick Rose there, I'm not sure it's all that much. But for a guy who was playing in the German league previously and is still really young, he looks really good. Tyrese Halliburton of your Sacramento Kings, I think looks far along as a Swiss Army knife. Just not going to be a big role for him either. And then Isaac Okoro is another guy who I just wanted to acknowledge because his shot looks better. And it looks more fluid. He played a very good debut. So I think that's promising and he'll have immediate defensive value. And maybe if it is a Malcolm Brogdon kind of year, Maybe the dude who just puts up 11 points a game and plays good defense can win it. But right now, I think Obi has the most complete offensive arsenal as far as immediate scoring impact, and that's why I lean him. I know I listed off a lot of names there, but is there anyone else still that you didn't consider? Because obviously, this draft is just unpredictable.
2: Yeah, I want to touch on two things. Um, for one, you want to talk about rookies who have impressed me in preseason. Uh, I was skeptical of Patrick Williams, but after watching some of the Bulls-Rockets game, uh, he's got a decent pull-up game. Like it, It's not anything that's mind-blowing, but I think he's a little bit better of a mid-range off-the-dribble shooter than I really initially expected from him. And then, as for your OB take, Carson, I think you spit a lot of... I don't know, logical reasoning behind why Toppin can win this award. I don't think it's a good stylistical fit in New York for him. He plays back to the basket, and so does Julius Randle. But you talk about his playmaking vision. I was surprised in that first game watching him because it's not it's not like a point guard playmaking vision. It's just veteran that Obi Toppin's played so much basketball that he knows where guys are going to be cutting to the basket. So as for where his game is now, Obi's a really smart pick just because he's a he's got veteran game immediately for this Knicks roster it could be like a I think like in a Mecca Okafor kind of rookie of the year win if you know what I mean where it's a there weren't a whole lot of guys who were getting other touches but uh, I think it's a good pick I don't think it's going to translate to winning but Obi's definitely got immediate game
3: And that's kind of what I'm expecting. I'm expecting a Mecca Okafor type deal, and maybe there's a Dwight Howard in here somewhere who he narrowly edges out and ends up being the much better player in the long term because that is what happened in that rookie of the year race, and we shall see. But there's always depth with this class. Maybe it's somebody else. Tyrese Maxey looked really good in his debut. That's all I'm going to say. He was getting buckets out there, and we saw that signature floater of his, so I was excited by that. It could maybe be someone who we haven't discussed, but I feel like Obi has the most immediately ready skill set. So that's why I went with him. Okay. Defensive player of the year. Logan, there was a nice heated race last year. Three really great candidates, in my opinion, in AD, Giannis and Gobert. Do you think it's one of them who comes back and claims the award? Is it somebody off of that board? Who do you have winning DPOY?
2: Uh, I think there's a pretty defined race, I think, at least for the start. Uh, you mentioned some of the names already. I think Anthony Davis is going to be up there again. Uh, he was at, he's was he been at nearly two and a half blocks these past two seasons. He's going to be up there again. He was uh, suffocating in the playoffs over the Miami Heat, over whoever they played. Um, Giannis is going to be up there again just because of how long and how dominant he's been. Uh, I personally am taking Anthony Davis just because uh, he's been the most consistent defender in basketball over the past few seasons. There's no He's the anchor for the Lakers' defense. There's no other way to say it. Um, there's another guy I think, Rudy Gobert, could be up there again just when he's healthy. He is the best rim protector in basketball. But I think there's another guy that should be up for consideration this season, especially um, if this team wants to stay relevant. I think Bam Adebayo could potentially be up there in Defensive Player of the Year for this season just because um, I, we saw his value in the playoffs. He was a, another suffocating guy. When you have... Uh, smart defensive wings like Jay Crowder and Andre Iguodala. The guy who reaps the benefits is Bam Adebayo because he's not forced to get out of the paint. He has to make less rotations. Uh, It it worked really well in the playoffs, and I think uh, coming off a year where he put up 10 rebounds per game and uh, one and a half blocks, we saw a step up from that in the playoffs. Uh, I think that Bam Adebayo could easily be in this conversation by the end of the year um, if Miami's defense is up there. And he's he's going to have to with those departures, Carson. Like, it's not a... It's necessary, if Miami Heat want to stay relevant, that Bam Adebayo takes this leap as a a perimeter defender and improves his role as a pure rim protector.
3: Yeah, I think he's already the best big man in the league as far as getting out on the perimeter, but as a pure rim protector, he doesn't necessarily compare to an AD or a Gobert. He's really good, but he's not quite on their level as a pure deterrent, and maybe that makes sense because of his physical tools. He's only 6'9". He doesn't have... Gobert's record breaking wingspan. So, all of those things are slightly working against him. I have Anthony Davis winning this award as well. I thought he should have gotten it last year. I was very opposed to the Giannis pick just because I think his role is a lot easier. He's able to play as a rover effectively and generate steals that way. But that's just a great team defense. That is a system defense, really. He has great guys all around him there in Bledsoe, in Brook Lopez, who obviously traditionally is not a great defender, but in that system, as just a room protector, is really effective. So, I didn't like that pick. I thought it should have been AD, so I'm going to run it back with him this year. To me, really, the two candidates who stand out in my mind immediately are him and Gobert. Just because Gobert was so clearly the best defender on the planet for a couple years, and then the Jazz's team defense dropped off, but that is a significant component of this award. It almost always, and I think the last time it went to a guy who wasn't on a top five defense was Marcus Camby like 15 years ago. I had that stat previously a few months ago, and now I... Don't have the exact numbers, but it's something like that. So, generally, you have to be on an elite team defense to be in consideration for this award. And that favors AD because last year, the Lakers were third in defensive rating. The Jazz were 13th. And maybe the Jazz improved from that slightly, but it would be a big ask for them to get back into the top five. And then you talk about just the pure steals and blocks numbers that often drive this conversation. AD is the best defensive playmaker in basketball one and a half steals per game, 2.3 blocks per game. His combination of instincts as far as stripping people of the ball, getting in passing lanes, and then also protecting the rim is pretty much unrivaled. And he's also just an unreal rim protector. His field goal differential overall, people shot 8.4% worse against him than they did for their average. That's a better differential than Gobert. He's more switchable. If you look at them guarding the perimeter, he held opponents 6% below their average on three-pointers, whereas Gobert, basically people shot their average against him when it came to hucking him up from deep. So I just think... AD is maybe the best all-around defender on the planet. I think he has all these components working in his favorite. And also, I think people will want to give him an award to acknowledge his defensive efforts over these past few years and acknowledge his role on the Lakers. And again, I don't think that should play a role in this, but I am anticipating human nature, which is that things like these do actually matter. So Bam is a guy who I wrote down as being an interesting candidate. Is there anyone else in your mind who has worked their way into this discussion?
2: I mean, if we're talking just best perimeter defenders, I'll throw a guy like Marcus Smart out there. Uh, I don't think he'll be in any race for winning this award, mostly just because it's a big man one. Uh, But I'd put my, the top four, I think clearly are uh, Davis, Gobert, Adebayo, and Antetokounmpo. If it goes to uh, anybody outside of those four guys, I'll be astounded. I agree. Maybe Draymond Green suddenly looks like his young self and is totally
3: dominant out there. Personally, I'm not going to bet on it. So I think that we have established kind of a clear top tier there and we both take AD for that award. Sixth man of the year has been monopolized by Clippers players over the past few seasons. That will probably be the case no longer. Now, Sweet Lou is obviously still there, but Trez is out of the picture now and we talked about how maybe that diminishes both of their productivity. So who do you have winning sixth man this year?
2: Uh, I have Jordan Clarkson as my pick. Uh, he's just an absolute bucket. Uh, he hasn't dipped below 22 points per game per 36 in three seasons. And with as much money as the Jazz are playing, Mike Con- uh, paying Mike Conley and as we spoke about last week, I don't expect Clarkson to jump up to any starting role where Mitchell's going to take his minutes. Um, and he doesn't mind coming off the bench. 15 points per game last season on 45, 36, 83 shooting splits. And in the playoffs, he was near 17 points per game. Uh, in a little bit more of an expanded role. I considered uh, Dennis Schroeder as well for this, but I think, and what I'm hearing out of Los Angeles, is that he's going to get the starting nod, so I don't even think he'll be in contention. Uh, For a guy like Lou Williams, I did not like at all what I saw to Lou Will in the bubble. Um, I'm extremely skeptical as to... If he's just going to be the same player, if he's going to be the same ferocious bucket getter in the paint, if he's getting up there in age, I have a lot of concerns with him in that regard and with what he's going to be able to do without Trez, what he's going to be able to do with Kennard getting some of those minutes as well. Speaking of Kennard, I think he could be in this conversation as well if he lights it up from the bench, if he's putting up 16, 17 points per game like Clarkson. It's just really going to be about who gets the most buckets off the bench, and I think Kennard's in that conversation. And then speaking of bucket getting off the bench, uh, last year's winner, I think Montres Harrell has to be in the conversation conversation again. uh, He's going to get touches. The Lakers bench has uh, some smart playmakers uh, that can handle the rock. If they just get that going in the pick and roll game, if Trez is as consistent as he was last year in LA, uh, I can see him bringing home this award back-to-back seasons like Lou Will did. But that being said, Clarkson I know is going to be returning in the same role that he did last year. He got buckets. He's been getting buckets in Utah. Um, I know that regardless of if Clarkson is close or not, he's going to be in the conversation, which I just think he's the uh, most logical pick at this point.
3: So this is interesting because my winner you did not name. I would like to say also, as you mentioned, that if Schroeder comes off the bench, I think it is him 1,000%. That is the easiest pick of the day for me. Like AD, I thought he should have won the award last year. However, that does seem unlikely, even if it's best for the team as far as basketball fit. He doesn't want to do it. He's already done that whole thing, as he says, so it does seem like he's going to be starting. I have Danilo Gallinari taking home this award, and I think he is probably just the best player out of this entire group. He's coming off of a 19-point-per-game season on 40-plus percent shooting from deep, and he just kind of feels like a sure thing to me to score around 17 a game efficiently. It is great for him to play alongside shooters and shot creators like this, having guys like Bogdan Bogdanovich and Trey Young around him who... He can just feed off of and benefit from the spacing that's going to be here. He was a 42% guy on catch and shoot threes last year. That is outstanding. So there's obviously some uncertainty here as far as what percentage of his minutes come alongside Collins, where maybe Collins is playing the five versus Capella, where you have a more traditional center. How many minutes does he even get? Because Collins and him are so difficult to play together, maybe he only gets 23-24 minutes a game, that seems crazy to me because they paid him a lot of money to come there, but it's a little bit strange that they're starting Collins over him to begin with in my opinion, but as I said, he's just the best talent of this group and is such a sure thing to produce at a high level on the offensive end, and when I talk about the other contenders, Lou Will, I think his ball handling is cut into by Kennard, I think Kennard may just be the better player at this point in their careers, and also not having a great role man like Trez is going to hurt, where he has to run that same offense with Zubats, who just doesn't have that same aggression and physicality or skill. That's going to hurt his productivity. Spencer Dinwiddie was actually the guy who I was closest to giving it to outside of Gallo, and I kind of went back and forth between them, because last year, obviously, he was fantastic. Gave you 20-plus and 7 on a legitimate team that ended up making the playoffs. Obviously super inefficient. He was like 41% from the field, 31% from deep, but he's going to captain a second unit on a truly elite team, which is always going to benefit you. If you look at some of the recent winners, it's the Lou Wills and the Trez's. Sometimes those guys are on great teams. Sometimes they're not. So it's not necessarily an automatic part of the criteria. And that's why I think that Gallinari can win the award, despite the fact that he's not going to be on an elite team. But with Dinwiddie, I'm just not sure how much his production is going to dip with Two volume offensive guys who always need the ball and KD and Kyrie, and then another guy in Karis Levert who is going to have to play a decent amount of minutes alongside. I just, maybe Dinwiddie is a more efficient 15-6 and six guy this year. Maybe that's enough to get the award. I just feel like his situation isn't quite as ideal. I will say, Tyler Hero is an interesting candidate as well. I just don't know if if he's going to start or if he's going to come off the bench. Last time Spo talked about it, he was noncommittal. He's been starting over preseason, but that's not with their full lineup. So if Hero is a sixth man... He makes a very compelling case for this in my eyes because he has come a long ways as far as playmaking and all-around impact on the game, and he's going to be great, obviously, but right now I'm going Gallo. Anybody else for this award on the fringes of the conversation who we haven't mentioned?
2: Not really. I think the hero one's a good pick. Uh, As for Gallo, though, Carson, uh, I think the Hawks would be foolish to not give him uh, 28 minutes a night to 30. I think that if you're going to cut guys' minutes down, it's got to be Collins, Hunter, and Reddish who are getting their minutes cut into because in a late-game scenario, I don't even know if you want DeAndre Hunter out there. Gallo's a must-have, and I think John Collins might be as well, maybe at the five, but uh, Gallo's definitely going to get a ton of minutes off the bench. I think it's a good pick. Uh, He kind of just slipped my mind honestly just because he's not starting it's really surprising just that he's not even going to be uh in the five but it's a good pick as well um just because I think he's going to get a ton of minutes uh cut into from Collins and Hunter he's just a sure thing to produce
3: offensively I think Clarkson is pretty much a sure thing as well you can expect him to give you his 15 a game and he was obviously fantastic for Utah last season much better than he had been in Cleveland in my opinion and at times outside of Donovan Mitchell, was far and away their best offensive player, where he could give you 30. He's a little inconsistent. I think his efficiency was impressive last season. It was better than it has been for most of his career, so Clarkson wasn't a guy who I really considered, although I can understand the pick, and I know that the odds for him are pretty good as far as him winning this award.
2: And as for, uh, just to get back on the Hawks for a second, Carson, uh, what I've seen out of them in preseason, dude, they move like Like, honestly, the only team that I can compare them to is the Miami Heat championship uh, winning or a championship appearing uh, team last year. Their offense just moves so fluid with screens being set, just kicking it out. Everybody seems like they can handle the rock. I don't know what they're going to be defensively because I think it's really dependent on Okungwu, Hunter, and Capella protecting the rim. But offensively, the Hawks are going to get buckets. A super talented team on that end, as we have known for
3: some time since they brought in Bogdanovich and Gallinari because there is firepower to that squad right now. All right, Logan, let's get on to what everyone's been waiting for. Most improved player. Last year, I picked Malik Monk. It wasn't a great call on my part. And this is probably the toughest award to pick, in my opinion. I agonized over it. I'll go over my whole decision
2: process. But who do you have winning most improved this year? Uh, after putting up uh, four points and 11 points in two preseason games, uh, this is I'm not really confident in this pick. Uh, I went with DeAndre Ayton, and uh, this is really similar to my line of thinking for the James Wiseman Rookie of the Year pick. I've got the Suns grabbing the four seed, so if they're going to grab it, I don't think that can all just be on the addition of Chris Paul and Jay Crowder. I think we have to see a step up out of DeAndre Ayton, And uh, who better to receive it than uh, Chris Paul's prospective pick-and-roll partner? Um, 18 points per game, 11.5 boards. They're hard to improve upon from last year, but he only attempted 13 threes all last season. If Aiden expands his range, if he becomes a... 30% 30% three-point shooter, I think this award could be locked up. Obviously, he's going to need to score like 24-12, I think, to really uh, slam home this award because there's going to be a a Devontae Graham kind of guy who averaged three points and jumps up to 18, or a Brandon Ingram who takes a massive leap. There's going to be that guy, but I think if Aiden can expand his game to uh, just just becoming a more reliable shooter and a if is a dominant rim runner alongside Chris Paul, I think this is a... Uh, A pretty good pick. But as I said, these two preseason games have not been promising for DeAndre Aiden whatsoever, Carson. Uh, Have you, uh, for one, I want to hear your pick. And then two, uh, what do you think the Sun's offense looks like when we get closer to the regular season?
3: Well, I think that looking at Aiden specifically, he is a guy who has a bunch of room to improve because he doesn't use his best tools. He is this overwhelming athlete at 6'11, 250 with these crazy long arms, super strong. And he attempts 2.3 free throws a game, and so much of his offense comes out of face-up post-ups and mid-range jumpers that he's really not very good at. And I just don't think I've really seen the improvement from him there. Now, theoretically, he could be special. So I understand this pick in that respect, but he's coming from a pretty high level of offensive production as far as being around 18 and 11 and a half. so you have to really jump up from that. Like He'd probably have to average 25 a game or so, which I don't really see him doing, and Again, I just don't know if he's improved upon the areas that he needs to to really take that next step. As far as the Suns offense, I think it's going to be a joy to watch. I think it'll be similar to this past season because the ball moved, Booker enables all that because he's so great without it in his hands. There are so many shooters on this roster. We are probably going to see more CP3 and pick and roll and I think that that could be beneficial for his improvement, but overall not a guy who I really considered, although I do know that he is also a pick that is pretty popular right now. My most improved and with this award, I kind of just go off the board entirely because for most of these awards, I go and I look at the Vegas odds just to sort of get in my mind, okay, make sure I don't blow over anybody who's a legitimate contender. Most improved though, I don't think you can really predict using that logic. I would be interested in seeing when is the last time that the most improved favorite actually won the award because I feel like it's kind of just unpredictable. So this was a tough one for me. I'll go through all the guys who I really considered. I ended up taking... Gary Trent Jr., who I am incredibly high on. I think he's a great basketball player, and he has room to grow statistically from last season. When he averaged nine a game on 42% from three, we had already seen a significant jump from him through that season, where he went from averaging 6.8 points per game before the All-Star break to 13.7 points per game after the All-Star break, so more than doubled his scoring average, but over two preseason games has just affirmed my faith in him, averaging 17.5 a game, 6 of 11 from three, He looks really comfortable handling the ball. I think we might see him running more pick and roll if he operates with the second unit this year. He's an outstanding pure shooter of the basketball, one of just the best in the league, and I think that he obviously caught everyone's attention with that in the bubble, but he had already been doing it for a decent amount of time, again, in that post-All-Star stretch, and he is a dog on defense. An absolute plus defender, a guy with great ball instincts, he's scrappy, he's a competitor, and the Blazers are going to be really good, in my opinion. You disagree with that, I know, but I think the Blazers are going to be a top five team out West, and if he scores like 16 points per game, you can follow that formula because this is what I always try to gauge with this award. What kind of leap do you have to take? Because most improved, it can vary. Sometimes you're a guy who jumps from a nobody to a pretty good player. Sometimes you're a guy like Brandon Ingram who jumps from a good player to an all-star and a 25 point per game scorer. So, all of these outcomes are possible, and I wanted to see: Can a guy win Most Improved reasonably not averaging around 20 a game? And the answer is yes. Five guys have won it, averaging less than 15 a game, and that was mostly in the early days of the award. But still, I think that tells you that you can just jump to be a good player on a good team and be rewarded for that. And three of the last nine winners have been under 17 and a half points per game. So there are the Oladipo's and the Bi's who are already good players who leap to being stars, but there are also the Siakams, who go from being just okay players to really good players. Now, I'm not even expecting a Siakam kind of leap whatsoever from Gary Trent, so maybe that wasn't the best comparison, but, but Siakam only averaged 17 a game and was just on a really good team. So, I think Gary Trent can do it. However, I did consider really hard a guy who follows a different formula, and that is Darius Garland, who is one of my favorite players just as far as pure talent, averaged 12-2-4 and four as a rookie and had so many issues as far as efficiency and impact on winning. 40% from the field, 2.6 turnovers a game, 8.5 PER, which is not a stat that I like, but just pretty funny to see a number that low. Had negative win shares. He was 25th percentile as an isolation scorer. He was 33rd percentile out of the pick and roll. He played awful defense on an awful team, but rookie guards are susceptible to doing all of those things just because Your game has to develop really quickly, especially when you only played a handful of games in college. And when I look at his tools, he has a real wide arsenal as a scorer and just as a star point guard down the line. He has step backs, he has floaters, he has an advanced handle, he has an incredibly quick first step. All of that is so advanced And he is getting buckets in preseason right now, but you see some of the same issues where maybe he's not quite as advanced out of the pick and roll as a decision maker as you would want him to be. I think that he is definitely still the better passer between him and Sexton, but probably not as good as far as being a true point guard in that respect as he should. And he's also averaging five and a half turnovers a game over his first two as far as the preseason. And he's in his second season. And it is just really uncommon for second year players to win most improved because you kind of expect guys to jump from their rookie year to their second year because that is a big transition right there. So there were some other guys I considered, Aaron Holiday, Dante DiVincenzo, guys who I just really like and I can see improving on winning teams. They bring you two-way value. They're winning players. They may be really good all-around players, but it's tough to win most improved if you're not averaging at least 15 a game, let's say, which is the mold that I think Gary Trent is likely to fall into. And then I also thought about my guy Christian Wood, who per 36, Averaged 22 and 11 last year on 57% from the field, 39% from three. So maybe just having more volume and a couple great pick and roll ball handlers and John Wall and James Harden will empower him there. Because I do expect him to get like 18 and 10. I'm just not sure if that's enough because I don't know how much his skill set is actually going to improve. And. Another guy who I thought about, really I just want to shout out, is Harry Giles, because he has looked so good in preseason. He's averaging 18.5, 13.5, 2.5 steals per game, 1.5 blocks per game. I love everything about how he plays, but realistically, I just think that his role is going to be far too limited behind Nurkic and probably also Collins as far as the Trailblazers big men. So, I considered a bunch of guys for this award. Jamal Murray is another one who I think you could make the case for, just because I think he is permanently going to be better and I think that a lot of the success we saw in the bubble is sustainable it's just I feel like in a lot of people's minds he has already improved because we saw it in the bubble last year and again he's coming from 18 point per game scoring so he'd probably have to get up to like 25 which I don't necessarily see him doing that's the bi kind of jump anyone else for this award from the wide range of NBA players that we have who could theoretically take a jump that you considered
2: uh, I did consider Dante DiVincenzo, as you mentioned, but I just think behind Holiday, behind Middleton, uh, and behind Giannis, it's just going to be hard for him to get touches, and he's best served as a, a ball handler getting to the rack by himself. He's, that, that's how he gets his buckets, and I just don't think that role is going to be open enough. Uh, as for your Garland take, I want to ask you about, I guess one, how, do you, how should they manage Sexton and Garland's minutes, and two, how does Colin Sexton play into Garland's chances at winning the award?
3: I think that Colin Sexton absolutely hurts Garland's chances to win the award because if he were given free reign of an offense, I think he could easily average 20 and five this year. And maybe it's not an efficient winning 20 and five, but 20 and five is worthy of a look as far as most improved player goes. I do think though, Sexton is probably going to outproduce him offensively again this year. And Sexton is a guy who we saw take a leap as far as production and was not rewarded for it, maybe because it felt so meaningless because the Cavs were so bad. So I would try to stagger their minutes to a certain extent now Sexton has become a great catch and shoot guy so in that respect he can be effective off the ball he's not a great mover without the ball in his hands but he is a great shooter so at the very least he has some value there as your effective two guard whereas Garland is more of a true point guard so maybe if they can strike a balance there I just think they're both score first ball dominant guys long term and we have talked about this before I don't think they can
2: coexist and you don't think Malik Monk has a chance this year Carson
3: yeah, when I saw that grin on your face, I had a, an inkling that that's what you were going to ask. I do have a new sick Malik Monk jersey purchased for me by my buddy Logan Cannon, and it is tight with some Hornets pinstripes. But no, I actually don't think he can do it. And if he does it this year, that is a huge win for me because I called it last year. All right, and if I'm a year off, then that is a big win in my eyes. So there's most improved. I think it's one of the more fun awards to predict. Also, one of the more difficult because for me, when I take a guy like Gary Trent, it feels like probably someone is going to have more significant improvement because oftentimes there is that one guy who just comes out of nowhere and scores 20 a game, and I don't think that that's Gary Trent. I just am really confident he's going to be a really good player on a really good team, and if I'm betting on somebody, you can take the opposite formula where you look at a Malik Monk kind of situation and say he has this intriguing skill set. He is going to have a volume of opportunities. It's just about putting it together, but that didn't really work very well for me last year, so I'm going to kind of go with another route this season. Okay. Last award here before we get into our conference finals and finals predictions, Coach of the Year.
2: Who do you have for this, Logan? Uh, I have Rick Carlisle. Um, I have the Mavericks finishing third, as you predicted. If if Luca has a chance at winning MVP, I think Luca is going to be that good this year. I don't think he's, he is going to have an outside MVP look. I don't think he wins the award. But with the Mavericks finishing that high in the West, I think Rick Carlisle would have to win that uh, win the award in that scenario. Um, there's certainly a lot of guys I considered for this award. I think Nick Nurse could have a chance at repeating if we see a jump from uh, OG Ananobi. If uh, also, why am I briefly on the Raptors? Malachi Flynn is a baller, Carson. I am so glad you put uh, put nerd sesh fans onto the guy because he is a he's right in that Van Vliet mold. It is he is a plug and play player. The Raptors are going to get immediate production out of him. Um, so the Raptors are going to be good once again if those young players like Flynn and Anobi keep getting better. Nurse will be up in that conversation, and then uh, there's Steve Nash, who I consider as well. I just think. I don't know, when you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, it's it's kind of hard for me to say, yeah, coach, there you go, pat on the back, good job, buddy, because you didn't do a whole lot. I mean, it's like the Steve Kerr 73-9 and award. Yeah, you got the record, but you also have some of the greatest basketball players on the planet. Um, I, I'm considering Eric Spolster as well. The Heat are going to have a dynamic uh, three-point shooting offense uh, that's really well run. With, I, with They're really talented, but I think compared to, to other teams, they're just not as... Butler and Adebayo were certainly all-stars, but... I just think with how good they're going to be for having two real stars that aren't upper echelon like LeBron or AD, it's impressive that the Heat have been that dominant. And then my last guy, Steven Silas. I think if the Rockets are really good this year, which I want to redact something because I picked the Rockets to be the 13th seed, I've changed my mind. If Harden plays, if Harden uh, doesn't play, if he does, it doesn't matter. The Rockets are going to be a good basketball team. John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins look like a really good pick-and-fade, pick-and-roll duo. Uh, Christian Wood has looked good in minutes. Uh, John Wall has looked rejuvenated. So uh, I think if the Rockets are 6-seed, 5-seed or higher, if they're that good this season, Steven Silas in his first year uh, as a head coach definitely has a chance at winning this. That being said, uh, I've got the Mavericks finishing 3, and uh, Rick Carlisle uh, will win if the Mavericks are that high. I have Rick Carlisle too, which is
3: kind of interesting because I don't feel like he's a real favorite to win this award necessarily. When you look at the criteria for coach of the year, you have to be among the league's best teams, which makes sense. Only one coach has won with less than 50 wins since the 06-07 season, and you almost always have 55 plus wins. So you have to be among the league's elite. So you could argue a... Coach Bud, a Frank Vogel, a Brad Stevens, a Tyron Lue are maybe a better candidate because of that, but it just feels like what you said with Steve Nash, winning is so expected, and the Nets are in that same conversation. I just don't think they're going to play quite up to their potential in the regular season, so the Mavs are the team that even though I have them as the four seed, which maybe isn't good enough for Carlisle to win this award, although I think it's probably on the fence, I see them with the most potential to pop off and achieve a new ceiling this season and There's brilliant offensive coaching there. Carlisle has obviously empowered Luka to play in this system that made them the best offensive team of all time last season. The talent gels really well as far as these role guys, and so much of this is due to Luka, but we can give Rick Carlisle a little bit of credit for it as well. They maximize role players. Again, a lot of that is due to Luka, but in a lot of ways, Rick Carlisle is going to be the beneficiary of that. He's going to be the face at the top of this team as far as coaching, and again, you have to be among the league's best to do it, so Maybe if the Raptors overachieve again, Nurse can repeat. I thought that he was a clear, deserving winner last year. Maybe if some team emerges as a diamond in the rough, and if the Hawks are better than we expect, or some team out west, if the Warriors are a top five seed, there could be a number of interesting candidates. This one's always really tough to predict. I took Mike Malone last year. I don't remember who you predicted, but it certainly did not end up being Mike Malone. It's just a tough one to call ahead because you really have to know who is going to be kind of the team that jumps ahead of the pack and who is going to get the credit for that okay so that's it for awards it was a lot of fun obviously and I'm excited to see how many of these we miss on let's get into now our conference finals and finals predictions so who do you have making the last two out east
2: uh, I have the number two seeded Boston Celtics and the number four seeded Philadelphia 76ers and um I don't know man the Sixers looked really really good against the Celtics they showed off a lot of talented assets it's just hard not to get caught up in how talented and deep the Sixers are um last season I believe there were your and my pick out east just because of uh, they clearly had the best starting five in basketball uh, just by talent so while you might think I have a little buyer's remorse for taking them last year no I'm gonna go ahead I'm gonna take the bait because I, I just really like what I've seen out of preseason Shake Milton is the man like him and Howard off the bench are going to be such a fun pick and roll duo to watch? I think the addition of Howard defensively as well. He was in the Lakers' uh, best defensive lineup last season uh, by rating and the best net rating lineup. So uh, Howard, regardless of what you think of his statistics seven points per game and seven boards uh, with one block he is still a uh, he's still going to be a contributing rim protector. He still uh, can anchor a bench defense. Um, and then you spoke about him earlier. Tyrese Maxey is also the man. I mean, late game situations where the Sixers were bad last season and dependent on a Joel Embiid deep three, because that's the only guy that you have out there that can reliably shoot. Um, With Maxey and Milton now being able to play on the court and Curry, I'm not scared for late game situations. The Sixers are going to be deadly in those. And as I bring up Seth Curry, he is the perfect partner alongside Ben Simmons. I I love what the Philadelphia 76ers did this offseason, and uh, I may be foolishly baiting myself into getting overconfident about this team, but uh, I've loved what I've seen out of preseason, and I've got to think that this team is going to be competitive finally this year. Uh, As for the Celtics, uh, I am picking them to beat the Sixers and go on to the finals. The last four seasons, they're just reliable. Two Eastern Conference or three Eastern Conference Finals appearances, one Eastern Semis loss to the Bucks in 2019. They've got a veteran roster with playoff experience, and if Jason Tatum is six foot ten and is taking this leap that uh, I expect him to, he looked really good and just it looked smooth. He was getting to the basket with ease on Philly with all the big men that they have. So uh, I think he could be in the MVP conversation if the Celtics are good again this season and. Uh, As for losing Gordon Hayward, I do think it is an important loss, but what we saw from their bench, Peyton Pritchard is a liability defensively, but he is a flamethrower offensively. I think he could get some minutes uh, as we get later into the season. And if they can get any production out of Aaron Neesmith, it just ups the value. So the Celtics have been consistent, and the Sixers uh, blew me away. I just think that for a Sixers team that has been together, if they get in a potential matchup with the Brooklyn Nets, uh, while the Nets have superior offensive talent in Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, the Sixers have played together longer and they've just, they're deeper. So uh, that is why I've got Philly and Boston out East. The
3: Sixers look really, really good. And I think that you have to like what they're doing there right now. The spacing is so much better with Green and Curry. And the potential for late game shot making is better with guys like Maxie and Melton. At the same time, in the scheme of things, those guys still aren't really ideal closers because they are unproven in those big spots, and it's better than last season. It certainly doesn't compare to when when they had Jimmy Butler, so I think the Sixers are a really good team. I ultimately can't quite put them in this spot yet, but I can certainly see it happening because the defense can be better than it was last season, and the offense can certainly just be more open and fluid, and I totally expect it to be, and we'll see what we get from Simmons and Embiid, particularly Embiid if it's a season of full commitment from him and real effort and the kind of production we know he's capable of, then maybe the Sixers do end up in this conversation. I've just been a little battle-scarred, so they're a great team. Maybe they win a series, in my opinion. I don't think that's unreasonable to expect, although I do have them as the five seed in a Heat-Sixers first-round matchup, which is what we both have predicted would be phenomenal basketball to watch. I have the Nets beating the Bucs here, so no overlap here. I totally understand the Celtics pick. I think they're a great all-around basketball team, but right now, I am just really impressed by the Nets, and it's not because Kyrie and KD played a really good quarter of basketball, although that did matter for KD, because just seeing that he was able to still be that dynamic athlete, and create his own shot as easily as he was, that was just such a sigh of relief for me, because I have always been the guy who's saying, okay, we're assuming KD is going to be the same, the history just says that he's probably not, and it looks like he is, and That is really encouraging. So when I look at this Nets roster, there are obvious questions, namely defense. The Celtics are a better complete team as far as two-way value because you know they're going to be top five on that end. You don't know if that's the case for the Nets, although they were a top 10 defense last year, and I think that they can reasonably at least sustain that or possibly improve upon that. But I just think KD is going to be unreal. It feels like he's about to have one of his signature performances here where he just wills his team. We know what he was doing. Last time he was in the playoffs where he was averaging 32 a game for the Warriors and just shredded the Clippers. Absolutely destroyed them. One of the most impressive single series performances that I can remember seeing. And this roster is really good. It's really deep. Kyrie, Harris, Lavert, KD, Allen. Offensively, that is so much firepower. So many shooters there. And then off the bench, you have Dinwiddie, Shamit, Torian Prince, who I think can theoretically improve. DeAndre Jordan, TLC. TLC. There's just so many good players here. It's such incredible offensive talent. And I think that Jared Allen is a perfectly capable rim protector. He's not a weakness for this defense. KD can certainly be a plus on that end. Lavert, I think, can be a plus on that end. There are questions about the defensive backcourt, and I think that those will remain. But there's so many great shooters here, so many guys who can create. I just think that if I look at a team like the Bucks or the Celtics, their top end just can't compete. And if Jason Tatum takes another leap and is suddenly a top eight guy in basketball, which I don't really think happening, but maybe a top 10 guy in basketball, then maybe the Celtics can beat the Nets. I certainly think that it's possible no matter what, because again, they are a better two-way basketball team, but the offensive firepower from the Nets in the closing, there are just really nobody I would rather have as far as clutch shot making than Kevin Durant, and Kyrie is right up in that same tier. So when I compare that to for the Bucks. Holiday and Middleton's clutch inefficiencies, I really don't think that the Holiday pickup is a cure there. It makes them a better all-around basketball team. Part of the reason why I have them beating the Heat or the Sixers, whoever gets to that second round series, because I think the defense is going to be stifling. I think the offense is going to be better. They're not going to have that same weakness, but when Holiday was a 34% shooter in clutch situations, 27% from deep, Middleton was a 30.6% shooter in clutch situations, and on the opposite side of that, You have two of the greatest isolation shot makers that we have in basketball. I'm just going to go with the Nets in those situations. There's going to be a feeling out period. There's going to be a stretch where they have to figure out how they gel. And maybe they do self-destruct. And maybe Kyrie and KD just can't coexist. I don't really see that happening. Or maybe it's Levert or Dinwiddie who's unhappy in their role. And things just implode. And maybe they aren't good enough defensively. But right now, I think there is too much talent on paper for me to pass them up. So we disagree as far as both teams out East. In the West, I assume we will have more agreement. What do you have happening out there?
2: Uh, I've got Lakers, Clippers, and Lakers coming out on top. I mean, for L.A., it's a pretty simple case. They've got the best offensive player in basketball. They have the best defensive player in basketball. So (laughs) you add Dennis Schroeder to that, you add the sixth man of the year, yeah, it's a pretty simple formula. I expect him to be back. And you add a shooter like Wesley Matthews. The the, the Lakers killed this offseason. They're they're going to kill this season again. Uh, As for the Clippers, The Clippers, I think, are the second most talented roster in basketball, only behind the Lakers, but they are missing one key component in my eyes. They've got Pat Bev. They've got wing defense in the starting line. They've got defense all in the starting lineup with Serge Ibaka, but I think their bench is clearly lacking one more wing defender, I think. Reggie Jackson and Luke Kennard can work together just because uh, they're both good shooters and they're both good playmakers. And you've got a competent center in Zubac. But Lou Williams to me is is just the odd man out, or Reggie Jackson is going to be the odd man out. I don't think you can have three ball dominant shooters in on off your bench. I think they have to. The Nicholas Batum move is a cool perimeter wing move, but he's ancient, right? I I don't know what we're going to get out of Nick Batum. I think they have to go out and get this last wing defender for those minutes where uh, Kawhi and PG aren't on the floor for against LeBron, for against AD. They just need one more defender, and I think they can go head-to-head pretty confidently. But if they don't get that piece, yeah, even if they do get that piece, I'm still taking the Lakers out West just because <laughs> it's basic math.
3: Yeah, I think that I have a really high degree of confidence in Lakers and Clippers being the matchup. Now that was the case last year and it ended up not happening. But when you look at these rosters, no other team competes out West and I don't really see the Clippers falling short again. I think that they're going to be too motivated and I think that they are going to have some better basketball cohesion as far as The addition of Serge Ibaka, I think that that is beneficial for them on both ends. I think that he helps them space the floor on the offensive end. And specifically for this matchup, now you have a guy who can at least battle with AD and make life kind of hard on him, as opposed to Zubots or Trez, both of which would have been disastrous matchups. So it's not that Ibaka is going to come close to stopping AD, but he can at least make him work, which the Clippers couldn't have done previously. But it's the same thing that I talked about last season. Teams with two top five guys in basketball are incredibly difficult to stop, especially when they are both freight trains, and this role group remains really strong. It has gotten better with the Schroeder and Trez editions, but it's also just the guys who do the little stuff, the Caruso's of the world, the Wesley Matthews. I am tremendously excited to see Taylor Horton Tucker this regular season. I think that he has undeniably improved, and he's not going to be a star, obviously, but His two-way value is going to be significant. As a pure shooter, he's going to be relevant, and he can get his own shot a little bit as well. So I just think Lakers are the best all-around team in basketball, and I can't pick anyone against them under any context. Maybe if we get peak Paul George and he's scoring 28 a game for a series, this could get really interesting. But right now, I would take the Lakers, and although I think the Clippers have gotten better, and I've talked about how much I like the Kanar and Ibaka additions, I don't think they've gotten better by enough, and the Lakers got a lot better as well we didn't even really talk about Marcus Saul who's just another real quality player added to this team so can't pick against the Lakers right now and that remains in the finals for me at the
2: very least what do you have happening in the finals so I've got the Lakers uh, winning over the Celtics again I think they have the most talented roster in the league and then in a hypothetical matchup between the two teams, I think they match up well, but just I still expect the uh, Celtics to get beat up on the interior. Uh, Tice, Thompson, uh, Robert Williams—they're all decent uh, interior defenders, and I I really like what I've seen out of Robert Williams uh, in preseason. I've been skeptical, but he's been uh, his role has increased as a rim runner, uh, as a lob threat, and as an interior defender. So I like them, but. You need two guys. You need two dominant uh, interior forces, in my opinion, if you want to, or at least one, uh, like the Clippers picked up in Serge Ibaka. You need one dominant LeBron or a D-stopper, and right now, uh, I'm just not sold on Tice and Thompson as being able to do that. Uh, Celtics are good, but uh, they're no match for the Lakers.
3: Yeah, I like that you shouted out Time Lord there, because that being Robert Williams, he had some really impressive sequences in that game where he got like a thunderous block on one end and then a big dunk on the other. And it's the potential that you theoretically have seen in him for quite some time. I really liked him coming into the draft and he just hasn't lived up to it. But ultimately, he's not going to swing a series. I just wanted to shout out my guy. I have the Lakers beating the Nets. This is not a tough decision for me. There is no stronger two-way team because the Lakers will be superior on the defensive end. There is no better duo because I think that LeBron and AD are clearly a better duo than KD and Kyrie, and they have so many quality role guys. They have dudes who can step up and win you a game in a Dennis Schroeder, and the Nets have that as well in a Dinwiddie or a Lavert. but I just think the Lakers are the more complete team with complementary players, and they know what they're doing. They did it last year, and again, at the top... Nobody can stop LeBron and AD, and nobody can stop KD and Kyrie either necessarily, but it's just a different kind of all-around impact on the game that makes me lean Lakers no matter what.
2: Carson, really quickly, while I've brought up the Celtics, do you think Taco Fall needs... Uh, should, is he deserving of more minutes? No. I certainly
3: do not think he's deserving <laughs> of more minutes. <laughs> but the Celtics are going to be fun this year, and obviously all of these picks are liable to change. For example, I started last year thinking... I believe I said Clippers over Sixers, and that did not hold for very long, especially on the Sixers end, but then also, even by December, I had switched from Clippers to Lakers, so we'll see what happens with the Nets in particular, if the Celtics, if the necessary guys have taken jumps, the Sixers, how incredible are they looking on the offensive end? All of these questions will soon enough be answered, but right now we have our picks, and we have it written down in pencil, and maybe we'll erase it later on, but for right now, this is where we stand. So, That's going to do it for us here today. Cannot wait to start some NBA basketball. We are T-minus six days out from the big beginning, and it is going to be oh so much fun. So I've been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was NerdsF.